Before we get started, I wanted to share with you an incredible resource that I have on my website, brightstoryshine.com backslash free gift. Okay, I have a couple different gifts here, but the one I want to talk about today, a list of strategies to cope with all the things. Now, please, please, please tell me that I am not the only person out there who needs a list of strategies to cope with all the things. This is an incredible list, you all, that I created based on information from the Treatment Model Seeking Safety, which is incredible. I went through it myself, and it's an evidence-based treatment for folks in co-occurring substance use disorder and mental health treatment. So to get your free coping skills worksheet sent right to your inbox, all you got to do is download now. Again, go to brightstoryshine.com backslash free gift. Welcome to Your Bright Recovery Podcast, where we celebrate your story of recovery and resilience. I'm your host, Caroline Beidler. Amanda Carpenter, I am so excited to talk with you today. And we were chatting just a little bit ago about how we connected. And I actually connected with you on social media, which love it, hate it, depending on the day, but we have a couple people that we know. And, you know, I just, I love being able to meet new women, especially who are out there doing some amazing work. And you are one of those women. And when I learned things like you have fostered over 16 children, that you have an incredible book coming out, that you have a husband who you call E, which I would love to hear more about that. You host a longer table podcast all the way from Los Angeles, California. You are a woman that I want my audience to get to know because you are out there living with your heart, Mm. not just writing about your life, really living that love. And I just, I want to highlight that. And I want to encourage my listeners that you also can live with your heart and yeah. So there we go. I Um, love that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is, this is so fun. And I'm with you Instagram. It's like a love hate. Well, all of social media, really it's a love hate relationship. Uh, Yeah. I've said that a thousand times. I've, I've tried going away. I take breaks that definitely makes it more sustainable, but I come back for the connections both with, you know, staying close to family who live far away. And then also meeting people like yourself who I mean, thanks to technology, we get to meet. Otherwise, we may never have met. And so it's really fun to connect with like-minded people and and people who are also doing their inner work. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, first off, so you're from Los Angeles or you live in Los Angeles now. Can you tell us what is your favorite thing to do in LA? Ooh, nobody's asked me this before. So we moved here a year ago. So we're newbies to LA. We, I am born and raised in the Midwest. Um, so is my husband. We spent the first five years of our marriage, first year of our marriage in South Bend, Indiana. Then we spent the next five in Chicago. And then we moved out to LA and we've been there here ever since. Um, and I love it. We love it. We came out here because my husband works in the pop music industry. He's a songwriter and producer. Um, hence the, uh, I know listeners can't see this, but the microphone and the sound panels behind me, I am in his recording studio. Um, but my favorite thing about living in LA specifically is that I can hike a mountain and go lay by the beach all in the same day. Mm. Possibly, 
possibly in the same hour if I'm hiking fast, right? Like, and traffic's not terrible, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. It's been, we, we definitely are city people. We love living in diversity and in proximity to our neighbors. And there's just a lot about city life that we're drawn to. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, it makes me want to move from rural Tennessee where I live now. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I shared just a little bit in the intro that you have been a foster parent to 16 children and counting, have another child. Tell us a little bit about that journey and your why. What got you into and what called you into this life? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said what called you into this life, because that is how we see foster care in our, in our world. Um, for my husband and I, it's definitely part of our lifestyle. It definitely has, has seasons, you know, we take breaks, but we see it as part of our lifestyle. We don't see it as, Oh, we're going to do this for a, for a little bit. And then we're done. Um, we really see it as our lifestyle, both holistically and systematically legally through the state in which we live, which now is LA, you know, California, but before it was Illinois. So the why behind it, that's a great question to know the, the why would be going way back in my story to childhood, which so much of who we are and why we are the way that we are and why we choose to do the things that we do are tied back to our family history and our, our origin. And so, um, in short, and I tell this story in greater detail in my book, when I was seven years old, it was actually my seventh birthday. Um, I came from a divorced household. So I was at my dad's that weekend with my dad and my stepmom. And we were supposed to have a birthday party. Uh, they didn't have a great relationship, my father and his wife at the time. And uh, things got really heated as it did regularly. But this time it escalated to a whole new level. And so dom- this domestic dispute uh, occurred and it was very traumatic, very horrific. And um, she ended up, I ended up calling 911 they arrested my dad and he went to jail and my stepmom at the time went on a stretcher to the ambulance. And, um, it was me and my baby half sister. They had had a daughter together who was one. I had hid her in a closet. And that day, though it was horrific and traumatic, and I'm, I still talk about it regularly in counseling because it's still impacting me. Mm-hmm. I have found a lot of healing and, I think it was in that moment that I realized at a very young age that maybe God planted the seeds for foster care because I realized like not every kid has a safe, stable, loving environment. And so I knew I wanted to grow up and provide that for others. I don't think it was a conscious thing at seven years old or definitely not in that traumatic state that I realized that. But again, I do believe God planted the seeds and then watered them along my journey through high school and then college um, as I did work with children. I was an elementary school teacher. I did mission trips and worked with kids. And I was just always drawn to the vulnerable populations. At the time, I specifically thought that was children. I now have since very much evolved and it's it's more just vulnerable people in general, which we can talk more about. But the why, uh, I, I always say, I believe that God uses the catastrophes of our life to be the catalyst of our calling. Um, that catastrophe that day when I was seven was the catalyst for so many things in my life. Uh, the advocate that I am, the way that I want to serve the vulnerable population or people who are in a position to fend for themselves or fight for themselves. Right. And so, yeah, it was a non-negotiable for me throughout dating. I, I would date guys and be like, Hey, I don't think I'm going to have bio kids, but I'm definitely going to be a foster parent. So 
you know, are you down with that? And if they weren't, it was like, okay, cool. We'll part ways. When my husband and I, uh, started dating initially, he knew this about me. He came from about as opposite of a background as me as opposite of a childhood. No one's childhood is perfect, but he has, you know, two parent household, lots of great memories, no real significant trauma. And the very first thing he did, instead of immediately just sort of telling me what I wanted to hear, which was like, of course, let's be foster parents. He he just said, I want to learn more about it. And he just mm-hmm. stayed so like wise in the way that he handled it. And um, because he took that route, instead of just saying, I love you and I'll do what you want to do because I love you. It was, mm-hmm. let me learn more about this. Let me lean into it. And then let's kind of regroup. And so it was step by step throughout our dating journey and then engagement. And by the time we were married, we knew it was something we were going to do. And we gave it a couple of years of, of just being married and navigating some other things that we had to go through. And then we became foster parents. And here we are years in, um, just got relicensed here in LA. And by the time this episode releases, we may have a new kid in our, in our home and in our care. So Wow. Wow. I love so much of what you just shared. And when you talked about having the catastrophes of our life really act as catalysts, I connect so much with that. And I'm sure so many of my listeners do. That's something that being in addiction, mental health and trauma recovery, I've talked to so many other women, especially around how their experiences of trauma, which often lead to mental health and addiction issues later on, have become, like you said, this catalyst, this propeller almost to move us into, okay, here's what happened. So, but how can we use what happened to help others? Or how does God transform and redeem those experiences I totally. Love I love it so much. And thank you for sharing so vulnerably about, you know, what happened when you were a child. And I think it's so, I want to say courageous and brave to be open and talk about like, Hey, yeah, I still see a counselor about this. I still talk about it. I still need to process it because I feel like in our culture, especially a lot of times we are, you know, with social media, we have to put on this face and we have to pretend like everything's okay. And we have to do jumping jack reels and TikToks and point to all the answers all the time and have, you know, have it all together. And we just don't, none of us do. And it's okay to be open and real and vulnerable and honest about that. So thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that inspires other folks, including myself to know that, Hey, it's okay to still seek help for, for our issues and what we're going through. Yeah. So when you, when you talk about fostering, I'm curious, how often is addiction, trauma, mental health, how often is that a part of the backstories of the families that you are becoming connected to through your work with, with children? Yeah. Oh, I would say all of them. Um, I would say trauma all applies to all of them. And that is because whatever led them to be part of the child welfare system was trauma. Um, typically that's abuse or neglect. And, and obviously those are broad terms. There can be a lot of very specific things within abuse or neglect that leads a child to come into care. But then there's also the trauma that goes, typically people don't think about, which is even though a child is being removed from their biological family because of abuse or neglect uh, to some degree, it is still a trauma to uproot that child and plot them into a new family, which 
you know, we always try or it should, the first step is always to try to find relatives that the child can go with. But if they can't, for example, all of the children that I have cared for, that my husband and I have cared for, you know, we're total strangers to them. So it's an additional trauma to uproot this child from their life, their school, their home, their family. Again, even though it's not perfect, even though it may not be appropriate or safe because of abuse or neglect, it's still another trauma. It's like a second layer to have to go suddenly be part of a new family overnight, not by choice. Because I think a lot of people think about foster care and they're like, oh, you're saving these children or you're, and it's like, no, we're, we're going to care for them. We're going to partner with their families, but they didn't ask for this. So a lot of times they aren't very happy to be in our care. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of a misconception or a, or an idea that I like to talk about because people who aren't in it, I, I think you would think like, oh, you're giving this child the world. Like they didn't have food in the fridge and now they go to your house and there's all this food. It must be wonderful. And I just think that's painting a false picture because some of these kids would prefer to go back to their apartment with no food in the fridge if it means they get to be with their parents, even though they can't provide for them. So it's such a, I know I'm going off of your question a little bit to talk about the trauma piece, but it's such foster care in general and and all this is so nuanced. And that is something I'm so passionate about is, is bringing awareness to that. It's not black and white. It's nuanced. It's layered. It's complex. And that's because this is coming out of trauma and anything that trauma has touched is going to be complex and nuanced and layered. And so, yeah, have we cared for children whose parents are struggling through addictions? Yes. Have I also cared for someone's children? And I don't, to my knowledge, know that there's any addiction involved and it's something completely different, typically generational trauma that's cyclical. Maybe they were born into foster care and they were in the system and, you know, there's all these like generational cycles. And unless Mm -hmm. someone's um, able to, courageous enough, given the right resources and tools to break the cycle, it continues. So yes, whether any type of addiction or trauma, that's what we see over and over and over again. And, um, and when it breaks, it's beautiful. Mm. I love that when it breaks, it's beautiful. And that I feel like for a lot of us doing work with, as you mentioned earlier, vulnerable populations or people who, you know, broken folks. I mean, I feel like we all are all broken in some way. We're all in recovery from something, but to be able to show up and help to be that chain breaker uh, in a sense, is, is yeah. such a gift. Now, you have a book coming out, which I am so excited for, Soul Care to Save Your Life, How Radical Honesty Leads to Real Healing. Beautiful. Oh, there it is. I can't <laughs> wait to get into talking a little bit more about this. First, though, I wanted to ask your thoughts on one more quick question. Because I've worked with so many women who've had to take a break from being mothers present, you know, in the home to get healthy in addiction, trauma, and mental health recovery. Do you have any advice for them if they might be struggling with allowing others to step in, to be those chain breakers, to help care for their children? Yeah. Yeah. Whether, whether it's, uh, manageable enough that you're high functioning enough or supported enough to keep your kids in your care, or if those kids need to be removed from your care temporarily, my encouragement to any woman struggling through um, recovering from a trauma uh, that's potentially led them to some unhealthy coping skills 
maybe addiction's one of them. I would just say that I think there's the, 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 the worst thing is that secrecy is breeding ground for shame. And so the longer you live in secrecy and isolation and kind of hiding, you cannot access healing. I always say you cannot heal what you're hiding. You have mm-hmm. to be willing to come out of hiding. You have to come out of secrecy. Um, but it's hard because shame can kind of pile up. And that's so much what I tell in my story, in, in my book. And my encouragement would be find one person, one person that you can trust who is healthy themselves, who's in a, a stable, healthy place themselves and, and tell them what's going on. Maybe that's a counselor. Maybe that's a pastor. Maybe that's a trusted friend. Um, but I think starting with telling one person, inviting them in and saying specifically, try to get as specific as you can. Here's what I need. I don't want to lose my kids. I'm trying to clean up. I, I, I know this, this just feels really embarrassing, but, but open up and try to share some specifics of what you need. If you can get into a 12 step program or, um, there's, there's just so many different things, a small group at church, any, anywhere you can have some accountability and community is going to help. It's going to feel wonky. It probably is going to feel awkward and scary, but it is in those moments that we shatter shame and we squash embarrassment and we start to come out of hiding into healing. Mm-hmm. Such wonderful advice to connect in community, to help propel, propel us out of that shameful place and into healing. So your book, Soul Care, tell us about it. Why did you write it? What do you want yeah. readers to gain from it? We'd love to hear more. Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, this book has been a long time coming. Uh, literally, uh, it was actually with a different publishing company supposed to come out February 2021. But because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of things happened. I ended up with a different publishing company and now it comes out August 9th. And I'm so excited because even though I wrote this book years ago, I got to reread it recently when we were recording the audio version. I I read my own book for the audio version. So if you're a listener and you like listening to books and you don't hate my voice, that'd be a great thing for for you. Um, But as I was doing that, I, I told my husband later, I was like, man, it's still relevant. It's still true. I don't feel that, um, I was a little nervous. I'd feel kind of like that cringy, embarrassing feeling. Cause sometimes I write something and then I come back two years later and I'm like, Ugh, why did I say that? Cause you evolve and you change and you grow. And so inevitably that happens for every artist of every kind, specifically writers, you know, our work is published in print and sits on shelves for years and people pick it up and you hope it meets them where they're at. But sometimes you can feel a little bit like, Ooh, I believed that. Why did I say it like that? Mm-hmm. And I was excited because I didn't feel that with this book, even though I wrote it several years ago now. Um, it is just full of timeless truths. And what I mean by that is it is a book. The first couple of chapters feel very like a memoir. So if you're into reading people's stories, I really share mine. I tell you the worst of myself. Why? Why would I talk about infidelity and suicidal ideation and my own addiction and then my whole journey of recovery? Why would I share that? I didn't have to. None of us have to. But I did because I'm so passionate about where I am today and what healing has been like and what it's provided me. I'm not just talking about good opportunities like, oh, I get to write books and speak. That's cool. But I'm talking just about the ordinary moments of my day to day life 
that I nearly missed out on because I thought it would be better to be dead than to face recovery and what that looked like. And for me, recovery started with confession and having to say to my husband, I did something, I made a mistake and we got to talk about it. And I don't know how you're going to react. And I don't know if you're going to leave me. And that's where it started for me, uh, Caroline addiction started not consciously, which does any addiction start consciously, right? Um, addiction for me. And it, and it even goes back to what we were talking about earlier with my seventh birthday. I had an unconscious, uh, addiction to men, to affirmation from men. Honestly, in some ways it's embarrassing to say, but I think I was just your classic, uh, text, psychological textbook, the girl with daddy issues. I grew up without a stable upbringing and specifically without a father figure that I needed in some really um, crucial years. And it led me down a destructive path. I shouldn't say it led me down a destructive path. I made choices that led me down a destructive path, but those choices were made because I was so um, longing to be loved. And I confused love with desire. And when you do that, everything gets twisted. And, um, one thing led to another. And so I start the book, just being really vulnerable and sharing those parts of my story. And what the book is as a whole though, is really a guide for anyone, an invitation or a guide for anyone who's like, you know what? Impressing is exhausting. I am tired of feeling like I, my inner world and my outer world don't match up, that there's a breach of integrity somewhere. I want to experience the fullness of joy and integrity and abundance in my life. I give practical steps. Um, each chapter, there are 15. They end with a soul care practice. And as you know, healing and these journeys of recovery are not linear. Um, and they aren't a like one-stop shop. So these soul care practices, it isn't like you get to do it and then check the box and move on to the next one. It's like what I try to do in this book is leave breadcrumb. And so um, that first soul care practice, you pick it up, you start incorporating that into your everyday life. Okay. Now that I've got that going, I get to chapter two. I read about that. I incorporate this now soul care practice. And by the end of it, these 15 practices, my hope is that they just become innate and part of your existence. But the reality is they're definitely ongoing. It's not something where you can check the box. So it's not your typical self-help book in that sense at all. Um, I know I've said a lot of words, but I'm, I'm very passionate about the book. And, and you said it, my subtitle, Radical Honesty Leads to Real Healing. That's what the book is about. And I just say, here I am, I'll go first. And I get radically honest and I show you how that led me through healing. And I invite you to do the same, um, both with the serious stuff of life and the things that feel less serious or less consequential. Um, because at the end of the day, we have this one precious life to live. And I believe that caring for our soul is the most important part in making it count. Oh, my audience can't see this. My heart is literally jumping up and down right now, clapping. So excited. I connect with so much of what you shared. The fact that you start your book off in this really open, vulnerable, just laying it all out there place invites us all, invites readers, all of us to join you there and to kind of see what happens along the way and to have practical action steps throughout at the end of each chapter. 
I personally, I'm a fan of that because one thing I hate is I'll read something and then maybe even earmark or highlight and just feel, you know, feel kind of called to change and all the things are going to be different. And then life happens and then you move on. But to have these markers where, you, you know, I can be accountable to making those changes as we go. I would love to read through this book with a group of ladies. So maybe we can connect about how that can happen. But I feel that especially for women like myself in addiction, trauma and mental health recovery, being able to take that time to focus on soul care is so important, especially in today's world when we are constantly bombarded, not just with our own trauma, but just this global chaos, you know, and, and trauma as a whole. So, wow. Thank you. So August 9th, again, soul care to save your life, how radical honesty leads to radical healing. Amanda, it has been phenomenal to talk with you. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we close out today? Yeah, I, I mean, I just appreciate you inviting me on to share a little bit of my story and to, to chat about the book. And I'm, I'm so excited. I should also mention that um, this book is great for reading through with a group. Um, I love that you mentioned that. I actually put, so the end of each chapter, it says the soul care practice, and then it has five questions. It says, be radically honest with yourself. And then there are five questions and that's at the end of each chapter as well. So um, I'm not a math person, but whatever 15 times five is, <laughs> is how many questions um, there are. And those questions are designed for inner reflection and then also to meet with someone and to actually discuss through it. So whether that's your counselor, your mentor, your um, accountability coach, or, or just a group of women that you're friends with, that you're willing to, to bear your soul with. Um, and I know that sounds kind of scary, but I just, I, that's the invitation and, um, there's a reason for it. I think it leads to your most fruitful life. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you again for allowing me to share about it. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, I've got some great free resources and tools to guide your recovery journey at brightstoryshine.com.